Ladies and gentlemen, comic book fans of all ages, all walks, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, if you're listening to the sound of our collective voices, then welcome. You have arrived at the DC Comics News Podcast, and I'm not alone. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, but I'm joined by the amazing Brad Flicky. Brad, say hello, sir. Hello. And I'm also joined by the stupendous and sensational Mr. Steve J. Ray. Steve, how are you? It is night time in the city of London. Greetings. As I said, wherever you might be coming from, morning, afternoon or evening, we're trying our best to collect all of those atmospheric time zones for you in this wonderful gathering we call the DC Comics News Podcast. This is episode number 58. We are settling into quite a meaty selection of stories, ones we hope will catch your attention and get us talking about, well, the things we like to get excited about. We were talking about the Suicide Squad and recent set photos that show Idris Elba rehearsing a stunt. Now, this isn't our only Suicide Squad story, but it's the first one we're going to start things off with. Brad, what was your take on this reveal and this sort of letting us know what's happening on set? presently uh i i enjoy these little like set leaks uh you know they're a lot of fun i do wish though that we would have gotten more an an idea of uh who he's actually going to be playing but it's you know it's fun to speculate um but it is kind of cool that he is doing his own stunts so i think that's gonna uh add a, uh, a cool feel to the film if we get a lot of this where they're doing their own stunts so uh yeah you know it picks my interest about exactly who he's going to be playing and exactly how the film is going to look steve what do you think when i saw this headline um leaked pictures of idris elba practicing a, a stunt scaling a building i thought yes we're going to see who he is but no, he's there in a T-shirt and some sweatpants and he's holding onto a rope a la Burt Ward and Adam West. Urgh! Yes, I love these pictures, but again, all we're seeing is him hanging from a rope. Oh, oh, too much excitement, too much stuff to look forward to. So uh, very happy to see him working, very happy to see it's all starting and, and the next story will also uh, add some more fuel to that fire. But uh damn it, we still don't know who anybody is in this film, and that's really, really frustrating. But hey, you know, that means no spoilers, and we're going to go into it fresh-faced and uh, not knowing what to expect and getting to see a film from scratch with no secrets revealed. What about you, Seth? What did you make of it all? I was really intrigued by that headline as well. I thought to myself, wow, okay, what are we going to get to see? And then you see the picture and you think to yourself, Okay, you know, stunt work isn't always about how pretty it looks in the moment you're capturing it. Let's go ahead and reset our expectations. Let's go ahead and and feel that, you know, sort of, okay, what's this mean? And as you pointed out, it does give us that spoiler-free experience. It allows us to keep in mind the fact that he's working, they're working, the uh, development production is moving forward, and it appears to have momentum and yet at the same time it it leaves us only with that sense of i wonder if there was a better picture getting a chance to see an action shot from 
a movie set sounds like it's going to be really thrilling, really wonderful, really all of the things you're hoping and waiting for. And then you see something like this photo and you want to smile a little bit because you think to yourself, okay, this is the reality side of filmmaking, you know, like the the making of the sausage, the part you don't really want people to see because it lacks some of the panache and mystery and wonder and drama. And yet this is how the job gets done. So hopefully we will at some point get a chance to see a little bit more about Idris, a little bit more that reveals who he is in the movie. And maybe when they let us know that we're going to be seeing, you know, images from the set, they're going to provide us with something a little more thrilling or at least something that lives up to the headline. Any other thoughts or takes on that one before we shift into our other set and images coming from the uh, Suicide Squad movie? I want the next story. I want the next story. I want the next story. <laughs> <laughs> then shall we slide along to the fact that we do have images coming apparently from Panama that show filming, including images of Mr. John Cena and his work on the film. There's a 50-50 chance I just ruined saying even his name, so I chuckle as I pass this along to Brad. Brad, what was your take, my friend? Uh, I'm... I kind of wish I had an interpreter for the video that uh, was in uh, Spanish, I believe. I was kind of curious what they were saying. And this kind of like the last story, uh, he didn't really get a lot. Uh, it was shot from pretty far above. So uh, it was cool to see John Cena doing his thing. Um, you know, like I said, too, I think it's going to be fun to like, and also like you were saying, set, set photos come to light as the production continues. Uh, Steve, what did you think? I will translate for you. It's basically a guy going completely fanboy mad. He's obviously a wrestling fan. So the first thing he does is he attempts the theme music. He goes, John Cena, John Cena. Oh, wow. John Cena. Yeah. Oh, God, they're filming. Yes. Oh, yeah. Must be Suicide Squad. Oh, this is really good. Basically, it's just us, but in Spanish, looking from our balcony down onto yet another person in a white T-shirt. Is this the new Suicide Squad uniform? First, we see Idris Elba hanging from a rope in a white t-shirt and now we see john cena standing in the street in a white t-shirt but the best bit of the whole <laughs> video for me is not content with humming john cena's uh, intro music from the ring he ends up playing it and then john cena hears it looks up and waves and then he really loses his fanboy mind <laughs> that's the kind yeah, of yeah that video part i got I but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I'd have been the exact same. I can't deny it. Seth, what did you make of it? <laughs> well, Steve, I now am able to respond to this a little bit more informed, thanks to your brilliant and wonderful interpretation, which I greatly appreciate, sir. Thank you for your kindness. Um, and knowing that, I, I have to chuckle just a little bit at the idea of this guy doing, like you said, what any of us would do when there's that moment of like, oh, it's right, right in front of me. Look, look right there. See? The guy in the white T-shirt who, unless you know who he is like I do, are probably looking at me like you don't understand what I'm talking about because you don't. But for those of us who do understand the thrill, the excitement, and as you pointed out, now that we know Steve, clearly a huge wrestling fan, uh, uh, singing his theme song, doing his best to just sort of let loose the frenzy that is fandom when it sort of takes over, the spirit be moving and such. 
I really thought this was just a, a fun story, and I am intrigued now if Suicide Squad is going to start out with like a white t-shirt gang kind of approach. Steve, you've potentially touched on something there, and I, I don't know where it might be taking us, but as always, I'm intrigued. Any other thoughts before we, we shift gears on that one? Because, you know, we actually saw some movement in those images from Suicide Squad. So any other takes before we shift? Brad did the costume designs. It's the white T-shirt and a nice pair of jeans on every single member <laughs> until they get their full uh, Suicide Squad costumes. I'll take you, it. That's you know, when it's, when it's Felicky fashion, I don't know how I could ever argue with it. So it sounds like it's just another brilliant move by our uh, fashionista among, <laughs> among <laughs> comic yeah, books. Yeah, I approve. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. Look, you, this is how it begins, Brad. This is how it all starts. <laughs> Folks, we know we're teasing you about his podcast. We know it's coming. We know that you know now. It's only a question of when a true fashionista, a clothes horse, someone who understands how it really works, knows when the timing is best. So we're going to trust his wisdom and guidance, and, and eventually we're going to get even greater, deeper <laughs> takes on these ideas. But okay, it meets his approval. Steve, any others to to compound on that before we, before we shift gears? I Brad, mean, Bradley is wise. We trust in Brad. <laughs> I appreciate and that. well, we should. <laughs> <laughs> now you know we know that we've got Suicide Squad coming up August sixth, but we also know that there's a little bit to look forward to when it comes to some of our other more other not just other more but our other anticipated some might say other more anticipated we'll see who says what as we continue on through but news abounds when it comes to movies and recently a conversation with peter sarsgaard revealed the coy nature of this uh, very talented actor regarding his role in the batman um, you know, Brad, what's what's your take on Koi? And did Peter Sarsgaard employ it to great effect here or you, were you disappointed? You know, I think that my gut tells me he's going to uh, be playing Harvey Dent. That's just what I'm feeling at this point. So he can play Koi all he wants. But until I know different, I'm going to say that he is uh, Harvey Dent. Uh, <laughs> Steve, what do you think? Can can you can you smell something? I think his pants are on fire. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, absolutely. Gil Coulson. Hmm. Sounds like Phil Coulson. Hmm. If that's not a made-up name, then I'm not British. I'm actually from Panama and I speak Spanish. Wait a minute. I'm not from Panama, but I do speak Spanish. Anyway, no. His pants are on fire. I can see the smoke, and he is Harvey Dent. Or um, Gil Coulson is another one of Mr. Dent's personalities and his real name comes through when he finds out his true um, history because through various points in the comics history Harvey Dent um, was adopted and fostered and raised by different people so maybe Gil Coulson is his foster name and he discovers the truth about his dad when he gets the coin and he loses his mind either that or he's just lying I'm going to stick with the first one. Seth, what did you think? You know, Steve, it's hard for me to argue with you whenever it comes to anything related to Batman. I, I feel like I'm approaching with a grade school 
elementary school uh, dictionary and you have a graduate level encyclopedia. It's just mildly unfair to, to put it, you know, delicately. I, I, I struggle at times, my friend, because the, the depth of knowledge that you introduce with some of these answers makes me think to myself. So does he just have these floating around? Does his mind palace just like, you know, do a back computer thing and just bam, like that, you've got these amazing pieces of history to include these other storylines where for the majority of people, Harvey Dent is cut and dried as he might've been seen in, uh, in the recent uh, Christian Bale versions of Batman. And, and it's just, he's a, you know, an amazing district attorney. And then suddenly there's this drastic change, but, you know, talking about how he's appeared in other ways, I, I really like this possibility you suggested and until now it wasn't even on my radar so i suddenly pause and think to myself okay sometimes on these questions this is going to happen steve's going to drop a a really impressive knowledge bomb on me and i'm going to sit back and go now how do i even compose myself how do i even try um i'm really interested now which way this is going to play so i really like the uncertainty you sort of added to this my friend um the only thing I can respond with is there was a second part of this story I was intrigued by, and that was this comment by uh, Mr. Sarsgaard about how he was comparing the Batman to the music of alternative rock band, the Pixies. Now, I know that I'm also in the presence of two very aware and knowledgeable fans of music. Brad, you and Steve, I have a feeling are about to teach me a lot more, and I'm looking forward to it. Brad, what's your take on this idea first? Oh, man, I love the pixies pixies are one of my absolute favorites uh they were the song that was playing in fight club when all the buildings explode at the end uh where's my mind uh check out the album doolittle it's one of my favorite albums of all time they're incredible yes uh and uh, i i have a hard time in my mind drawing a connection between pixies and batman uh what that would exactly mean i, I am intrigued uh, so, you know, it, it in ways, Batman seems a little polished, even if gritty, um, not, you know, or I shouldn't say gritty, I should say dark, but it does overall have a polished feel for me, the character and everything. Whereas the Pixies music comes off a lot more raw. So I am curious if I'm going to have the same impression when I do see the film. What about you, Steve? Totally, totally what you said. Um, the impression I got is that's how he felt um, reading the script and being on the set. And that that's the kind of um, atmosphere Matt Reeves has got going on. If you want a description of the Pixies that makes any sense, if you're not familiar with their music, is you're quite right, Brad. I do have a tough time associating them with Batman. I would more readily associate them with Joker. That's about mm-hmm. the best way yeah. I can put it, because they yeah. are avant-garde, they're alternative, genius, um, because it, it is music. And people say, mm, a lot of it is borderline, but I, I would heartily disagree, because inventiveness, I wouldn't say crazy, I would just say different. They're just, their whole perspective on, on the way 
they do things. So if that's the kind of uh, feel he's getting being on Matt Reeves' set, then that just, again, raises the excitement levels. And um, yes, I have listened to one or two thousand records in my time or one or two, read one or two million comics. So um, thanks, Seth, for the, the lovely words about my knowledge. But sometimes a sponge can get too full. And then you just get water everywhere. And <laughs> then you just have to lock me in my cell and leave me be. But uh, Seth, that's that's about the only way I can describe the pixies. If you've never heard them, do. But they are um, like olives, like Marmite. You either love them or hate them. But I remember not liking them for the longest time and starting to appreciate them more as I aged. And now I think they rock like Ben Grimm in the Grand Canyon with a Fender Stratocaster. So do <laughs> give them a try and persevere, my friend. Oh, thank you. You know, I've had the mildest of exposure. I actually remember working as a young bartender, putting myself through college, and someone said, uh, they, I think for whatever reason, the music in the bar was uh, Dave Matthews Band. And I remember we had this really cool, redheaded, dreadlocked sous chef who came out and he just he was just this really great personality. He's just he, the way he sort of entered a room was just so smooth. And he would drop these velvet hammers of, of information or suggestion or idea. And he just said, well, I mean, if you're going to do that, why don't you just do the Pixies? And I remember that triggered in my brain. And I thought to myself, what? And he said, yeah, if you want something that's more like what the Dave Matthews band idea is based on, you should really just put on some Pixies. So then I, of course, got a, a bit of a chuckle when later uh, I was obsessed in those days with Fight Club. And while watching it, I noticed that there was something that caught my ear about the sound of the voice at the end of the soundtrack. Yes, when when all those buildings are exploding. And when I realized that's who they were, I started to piece by piece come across little bits of them. But I know that that's not nearly the depth of knowledge needed when someone would try and use this idea to describe Batman. What I did kind of think of, though, when I was reading what Sarsgaard said was it's so raw in that way, you know, and this idea of it not being sanitized or having a raw power or raw emotion. And and the only thing that, that sort of struck with me was this idea of how they seem to take discordant chords and make them melodic, you know, when there's like this clear distortion to a chord or to uh to the sound or rhythm and yet it becomes part of this very melodic idea when it's stretched and pulled the way musicians somehow seem to do it what you guys presented is much more detailed and i really appreciated the suggestions you offered hopefully they will deepen my music knowledge so steve i'm not worried about your sponge my friend in no way whatsoever i am <laughs> I'll let you do that worrying. I am going to be encouraged by what information it continues to expose me to. Both of you, thank you for that insight. I really appreciate it. But I know that we're not done with the Batman because our next story talks about the fact that reports show that the Batman crew has reportedly been hunting for American cars in Glasgow. Now, I'm intrigued by this because I think it touches on that timeless idea that has been brought up by, I believe, both of you when it comes to some of the best qualities behind Gotham and how this is an idea that's explored in this story. Brad, what was your take, my friend? Yeah, uh, yeah, it does 
the story brought back into my mind the fact that Gotham is timeless, and I just love the, that they are looking uh, for cars from the 80s to today. So it can feel kind of out of time, but in all time, and I think that's that's really a really cool thing because I think a, a big part of a Batman movie is exactly how Gotham is portrayed and how Gotham looks. It creates so much of the mood for the film. So it, this was definitely intriguing to me as well. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Yeah, that's one of my favorite aspects about seeing anything Batman on screen from the animated series where some of the technology could have been from a Max Fleischer cartoon of the 40s to right to the present day and talking computers and everything else that goes with it. Same with Gotham. You know, you just didn't know when it was set. They had 80s flip phones, but everything that was happening was now and today and, and vibrant. And that's just a nod of the history, nod of the head to the history of the character who's been around for 81 years now and um, shows no, no signs of slowing down. He's just immortal and timeless. And to get that feel in a movie, a brand new movie uh, made by top director who I've loved since Cloverfield, it just gets me happy. And yeah, getting American cars anywhere outside the US actually is a tricky deal. They're going to have to speak to serious collectors and, and, and people who rebuild the cars from the ground up. And that's a beautiful thing, too. So um with every piece of news, every little snippet and this attention to detail, the way Matt Reeves is putting his all into making his Gotham a living, breathing entity. And as always, like you said, Brad, Gotham is another character in all these films from Anton First's beautiful gothic spires that seem like hell broke out through the sewers and didn't stop growing to the realistic, grimy, dark side of New York we saw in Gotham to the, the mishmash of, of all of that that we see in the animated show, I think Matt Reeves is really going to surprise us, not just with the actual physical characters, but with the character and, and the soul of the city that spawned the Batman. I just cannot wait. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seth, what did you make? You know, I was really interested in this idea. It, it really sort of struck me when I was reading over the story because I immediately heard echoes from both of you talking about one of the best qualities behind Gotham is its timelessness, a place out of time, a, a place that creates its own time, that pulls elements from so many different time periods and puts them in a place that creates this otherworldliness to it that's so grounded and gritty that the juxtaposition is really lovely. And I, I I really thought that both of your examples were wonderful. And as I was looking over this article, I was thinking to myself, okay, so they do thankfully mention the types of vehicles that were being sought. And it was a Ram 1500 pickup made by Dodge, Cadillac Escalade EXT, a Ford Mustang, which could be any Ford Mustang. I mean, you think of how many different body styles have been applied to this American muscle car that was one of the, you know, is considered like a forerunner to so much that that came after it. And then a Ford pickup truck. So as I was, I just wanted to pose a fun follow-up question and and see what your take on, on two ideas would be. One, would they keep these cars original or use them as ideas to modify and, and give just that little added twist so that timeless idea hides some of their age but still provides the recognize or recog- uh, 
I can't think of the word I want to use, but it's supposed to be that they can recognize sort of the foundation of it uh, and yet also see how it's different. But also, what would you guys, if you could, pair or who would you pair these vehicles with just based on characters we already kind of know are going to be in the film or, you know, how you could see them fitting with one, all or none of the characters in the Batman? Just for a fun follow up. No pressure. Brad, thoughts? Uh, man, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, just because I, I, I think if I had just a little bit more information about exactly what was in the script or what the story was, I'd have a better idea. But I'm, I'm keeping my mind so open into what this film is going to be. That's uh, hard for me. That's hard for me to say. Uh, Steve, what about you? That's put my brain in directions even it never expected to go in um i just thought they just wanted to make glasgow and london look like america and to add like you said the timeless feel of these classic muscle cars appearing on the streets you don't know exactly when this story is set but yes they have also got a history of of adapting stuff to make it feel like is this even really our world at all which is that heightened sense of reality that all comic books give that this this isn't our world but it could be just just squint the right way look at it from the right angle and it could be our world or would we wish it to be or would we ter- be terrified if it was so hmm. um i've always loved um when i was a kid and i'm, I'm sure you you'll both see this when you pick up these uh corgi cars and i don't know if, if it's the same company that made them in the states that were actually like a, a joker mobile and a, a a penguin uh car and they were also like different aspects that seemed very reminiscent of the characters themselves and we always had a joker mobile and a batmobile but to have cars paired to the actual characters that's fascinating mm. <laughs> it makes me want to break Man, out my go- pen and pad and start doodling yeah, cars, I, man, brings back memories. I mean, like, as an American kid who used to love cars, it was like a it was like a luxury to be able to get a Gorgie car. They were always the best because yeah, they were the metal like, ones, yeah, not the plastic ones. Yeah. They were gorgeous. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were really nice. <laughs> yeah, I think was, they made the James Bond car, but that's getting off topic. <laughs> I, I had a Corgi Lotus Esprit from James Bond. <sighs> Happy <Happiness. laughs> So, yeah, I'm intrigued by it because I'll be completely honest with you. As I was asking the question and even as I was thinking of it, I was trying to actually put – I started with Jim Gordon, and I was like, okay, Jim Gordon, a Ram 1500 pickup. Interesting. A mm. Ford pickup truck. How would that go? Wait, what if he's in a classic Ford Mustang? Definitely not a Cadillac. I don't see Jim in the Cadillac, but I've got three choices. And then I just started doing this merry-go-round. So by the time you guys had come back to me, I was like – Okay, well, why should I do this on my own? Let me see if I can go ahead and make this suggestion to you guys. And where are they going to get the jalopy that perfectly gives us the aspect of Harvey Bullock? I am very curious about that. <laughs> there's there's so many possibilities. And, and then, of course, you know, I kept in mind the idea that, you know, we don't know how they would fit these in or how they could provide a, a great camera angle or a, a little bit of insight just to how this story is is spinning its narrative and how it's using these elements to play up to all of its best strengths. Um, now we do shift away from Batman for just a little bit after this next story. 
And with this story, we stay kind of in the universe, depending on how you've approached the canon idea of the film Joker. But what really seems to be catching the attention for me right now with the idea behind Joker is this announcement of an upcoming tour and how there's so much support behind it from the uh, director. Brad, what was your take, my friend? Oh, man, I love this idea. Uh, I, usually it's it's Steve who can't participate, but right now this is only in London and then Europe, but I'm just so hoping that it comes to America. Uh, the score was just incredible. I talked you know, at length about how great the score is, so I think that is just such a great idea. So I hope it does come to the States, and uh, you know, I, I hope that I can get a chance to see it. Uh, Steve, what do you think? I knew you'd like this story, Brad, because you and I have been raving about this score from the second we heard it. Um, yes, uh, for, for listeners who might not have, have read the news story, the uh, movie is being released with live orchestra playing the score. And or and or uh, that's what that's what I got from the story. I don't think it's just the concert of them playing the music because I think it has to be appreciated with the visuals as well but uh brad seth seriously i live in london it's not happening till april if you want to make it out here for a couple of days and get together um you're more than welcome but uh, for once i can look you both in the eye even though i can't because i'm on a different continent and all i can do is hear you <laughs> and go nina nina we're getting before you la, 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 la. <laughs> but you've still got dc universe so i'll shut up Seth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you've earned that right, my friend. It, it's it's only fair that there will be some things that will, of course, be available to one side or the other. The best part is, and this is what I love to think about whenever you mention the pond between us, is the fact that we get to share the pond. Like that's the only real difference between us. It's just a body of water, as you pointed out. We could Hop on a plane, skip across the way, and with two winks, boom, we're there. Not 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 too bad to consider. Um, yeah, I I thought at first that this was a, a concert tour, um, and I was intrigued by that idea because I do remember that there were other uh, projects that had done something similar. I feel like Battlestar Galactica had done something like this where. There was a, uh, you know, an orchestra performing all of the, the works from it. And I feel like I had heard a story about something similar with maybe Lord of the Rings or, or something else. So yeah, I think it was I, Lord of the Rings and um, Game of Thrones. I think Game of Thrones did have concert tours. OK, so, yeah, there had been like a, a sense that I picked up that this was something that had happened with other projects. So I initially thought that's what this Joker project was going to be. Um, but I, I was mostly intrigued because I've listened to both you and Brad speak with a great deal of reverence and one that I've enjoyed hearing about the, the quality and how much I added to it in my own thoughts about the enjoyment that it gave me and the way I felt that it was so much a part of creating, you know, this very original character. So hearing both of you give your takes on it is is really the part that I was looking forward to the most when it comes to this story. And I really like the things you shared. I think it, it makes the biggest difference. Now, as I said, shifting still away from but still, it feels like in this sort of ever-widening, mildly concentric, overlapping circles, I don't know, 
how do you want to go ahead and put this together? Simply put, the headline said Birds of Prey earns 11.8 million and has quite an impressive start with a, uh, a 4 million at the domestic box office on its Thursday night previews. I mean, you know, at some point it, it gets a little tricky with the numbers. I'll never see a million dollars like in front of me. So how do I equate this? Brad, how did you equate it? Uh, I, it's a mixed bag because I've been hearing reports that the four was good and hearing reports that the four was really bad. Uh, but it's good to see that the domestic is going to be 11.8. Uh, you know, I there was some analysis that's saying that they kind of maybe missed out uh, by having it being rated R because it it um, doesn't take into to account all the teenage girls who love Harley Quinn but would be allowed to go see an R movie. So that I, you know, that take that for what it's worth i'm not sure now i did see the movie and i i enjoyed it i i expected it to do well they they were looking at possibly 55 but wanted 45 uh, so, for the whole weekend so we'll see what happens by the uh end of the day on uh, on sunday but i'm hoping for the best i yeah i i enjoyed it i don't know if you guys have had a chance to see it yet but I'd be curious of your uh, opinions. Uh, Steve? I have seen it and I loved it. And I will honestly say that it would not be the most impossible job in the world to make a non-R-rated version of this film so if they so desired. But having said that, the version they've released, um, yeah, it was so much better than I expected. I, did, I went in literally with no expectations whatsoever because I know that People think there's hardly oversaturation, whatever else. But what I will say is this. Margot Robbie is clearly invested in this character. She's clearly researched this character and she loves this character. And what I got out of this film, which I wasn't expecting, which really made me happy, is she is not just a victim. Her personality shines through. They dwell on her intelligence and her insights into her, the rest of the birds of prey and how she reads people and, and the way she talks to Sionis. It's fantastic character stuff which builds on Harley and makes her better, honestly, than she's ever been. So if you haven't seen this film as a DC fan, go and see it. I very much doubt you'll be disappointed. I've only got one complaint about this movie. And even saying that, she's so brilliantly played. Cassandra Kane it's not the Cassandra came from the comics in any way, shape or form, but she's brilliantly played by a very talented little actress and you will adore her. But everyone else, um, the comedic moments with Huntress, Black Canary kills it. Um, Harley is fantastic. Montoya, brilliant. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed a film which I was expecting to just like at best. So the fact that it's making cash and it's going to make more cash because um Word of mouth is spreading for it. I've not heard a bad comment about this film so far, and I really expected there to be tons. Even people who I didn't who didn't want to see it are enjoying it, and that yeah. means the world to me. And the screenplay is really, really clever. It is. Uh, <laughs> that the, the yeah, just how they played with timing and things like that was really good. Uh, I would say my only uh, my only complaint was. Uh, Black Mask was a little one-sided. I kind of wanted more out of that character. 
Um, I found it played a little but too he was much hilarious. for less. But yeah, I. Uh, but that's just a small. That's a small complaint. Overall, I thought it was was really well done. And even with my Cassandra Kane complaints, the fact that they clearly stated she was uh, in foster care, and you don't know about her parents or her origins, I still think that a switch will turn when the character reappears and something about seeing David Kane again will switch in her training and you'll see her become the premier martial artist of the BC universe that we know she is, the only character who has defeated the Lady Shiva in one-to-one combat. So while it's a complaint now, I still think there's a lot of room for this character to go and she's a fantastic little actress. So yeah, I really enjoyed the movie. Seth, what's your take on all of this? Well, uh, one, you guys have answered the question for me, which is how do we really equate these ridiculous sums of money that I can't really relate to in any sort of rational sense, to which I can now respond based on what you both said with this simple retort, which is who cares? It sounds brilliant. It sounds like a blast. It sounds like so much fun. I don't care how much money they want to talk about in the end. If it's a great product and a great show, I'm going to enjoy it for that. And if it makes me laugh or smile or cry or all of those things and more, then I guarantee you that's what I'm going to remember when it's all said and done and not what the final gross box office take was. So what you're telling me is so much that I have to look forward to. Um, And I also like the fact that you've touched on something that I've heard a little bit of chatter about regarding Cassandra Kane. And how this is just an introduction, Steve. Like you said, there's a chance for a a switch to be flipped. And there's been, you know, some of my favorite characters from stories. When Angel first does the big flip and gets his quote-unquote, you know, loses his soul and everything changed. That was a big moment for me as a Buffy the Vampire guy. Um, When we saw it in the the Marvel uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they had the, the Grant Ward character and the transition for him... Those were telling moments. If we can do such a a drastic change with Cassandra Cain and and make it feel real and also have it be based on this sweet introduction and and really impressive introduction as you described it, well, that's just to our benefit as fans, as those who love a great story that makes us go, oh, wow, even if I saw that coming or hoped it was coming, I didn't expect it like that. And that's sort of one of those great things that you can look forward to, especially if this is just the first step, right? I have this feeling like uh, Ms. Margot Robbie isn't done and that uh, no matter how the numbers end up shaking out, this won't be our one and only shot to see her and the Birds of Prey in action on screen. So I'm really encouraged. I I could really just think to myself, like, go ahead, just keep shouting numbers at me. It sounds like it's going to be a great show, and I can't wait to uh, see it for myself. So thank you both for uh, giving me all the more reasons and maybe giving me a couple extra selling points if I want to try and convince my wife to join me. She'll love it too. Ah, see, that's what I'm hoping for. You know, and uh, and she loved her in Suicide Squad. And, you know, if her take is equal to or better, then we're going to have a great time. And it sounds like it is. Put it this way. I saw the movie with my son 
and three women and all of us loved it so i rest my case and with that my friend shifting gears into tv and streaming we have an opportunity to talk about our first story which is an interesting development one that you know i'm curious to get both of your thoughts on the announcement that the uh, superman and lois tv show which i am still probably recovering from the uh, mixed and amazed feelings not mixed in any bad way but just sort of the competing of emotions of how will it compare with lois and clark and how will that even matter but superman and lois have cast the actors who will be playing the teenage sons in this series and that gives me so much more to think about when it comes to this upcoming show and what we'll get to see as they show us this version of superman and lois you know Overall, what was your initial reactions or, you know, not so initial reactions, Brad? Uh, I find it interesting that we knew going into Crisis that they had one son, but it was after the events of Crisis that they had two. So that seems to to me that it's that's going to be a pretty important element is maybe trying to figure out why that is in this first season. And that could play some interesting conflicts between the two brothers as we start learning more and more about it. So I have a feeling that's going to be a pretty important linchpin to uh, to the first season. Uh, Steve, what do you think? I think this is so clever. So, so very, very clever. Uh, we've discussed in the past how for many uh, Superman fans, the comic books were brilliant. Um particularly during the, the first run of the rebirth when Dan Jurgens and Peter J. Tomasi were writing the two titles, Superman and Action Comics, and seeing Superman as a dad with young John Kent. But many people forget that Superman was a dad first in uh, Brandon Routh's Superman Returns, and they had a son called Jordan. And the fact that these two boys are Jonathan and Jordan, and in the Crisis on Infinite Earths episodes, uh, Brandon Ralph Superman says, oh, he's just like my son, Jordan. So they brought that up even then. So we're going to see Superman's son from live action um, having a brother in Superman's son from the comic books. And that has never been done before. Add to the fact Tyler Hecklin is already a, a great Superman in his own right. Bitsy Tullica's Lois Lane is already rapidly becoming one of my favourite iterations of the character. Two very talented young teenage actors as very different brothers. They're not going to be the same kind of guy. Um, it's just brilliant ideas for what could be some incredible storytelling moving forward. So, yeah, I'm really happy about this. They're doing something brand new. Seth, what did you make of it? I'm really intrigued by this brand new approach and the way that you guys have presented it. You know, it's really interesting because uh, there's also been, you know, some response to the uh, development in the more recent versions of Superman and how suddenly a young boy who was the son of Superman is now more of a teenage emerging young man. And what was lost by not getting to see those years of his growth and development. So seeing this on screen is going to be a, a really interesting take, filling in potentially for those moments that weren't covered in the more recent comic stories. But this idea now that you're talking about, Steve, with who Jordan is, uh, the son from 
the Brandon Routh Superman universe. And now how he's joining Superman and Lois, who previously only had one and now have two. Is this going to be a mystery? Is this going to be something that is it also a mystery with an adjustment period? How many people will sort of recognize what the difference was before and after crisis? And what will that mean for those characters who do, for those who don't, the tension that that can create? And as you point out, Steve, where that can take us with the storytelling. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by this. I do love the fact that these ideas that were brought into crisis weren't just brought up and then that's it. They were brought up and now they're continuing on and we're seeing them and their results and their impacts in the different stories that are, you know, the shows we know and love that were part of Crisis and now are continuing on with their own threads and we'll get to talk about more of them. But these ideas that you're bringing out and how we can see them develop on the show, I'm really intrigued by. And I might have been thinking about it to one degree, but I can certainly say that after listening to you and Brad, I'm thinking about a lot more. And I'm very intrigued by this idea now in more ways than I had been when I just read it by myself. So once again, I'm thankful for uh, the shared knowledge you guys introduce and allow me to, to glean from on more than one occasion. And I'm not shy to say it. Now, talking about the CW, Another show that has brought itself to our attention by releasing a series of photos is that of The Flash and an upcoming romantic episode known as Love is a Battlefield. And I got uh, a bit of a kick seeing a familiar character or two. Brad, what was your take on these uh, Flash photos for the upcoming episode? Uh, uh, Man, I... uh... Uh, I don't know if I should spoil it for people, um, but uh, I'm just going to say it. I really enjoy Katie Sackhoff in Brad, Flash. what'd you so, do? You spoiled it. Brad, what? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. No, you're fine. Go ahead. But Go ahead. I, I, she, I was she going plays... to if he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she has so much fun playing Aminette, so I'm just so happy to see that character back. Uh, she knows exactly how to play the character and the type of show that Flash is, and she just has so much fun. So that was the major, definitely the major thing that stuck out to me about the story. She said she's back, and it's just going to be so much fun uh, to to watch her as that character again. Uh, Steve, what do you think? I love Katie Sackhoff. Have done forever from Battlestar Galactica to yeah. the short-lived Bionic Woman to her scenery chewing magnificence as Amunet Black. Um, yeah, listen, I- I've been waiting for her to come back for the longest time. She's a great baddie. She, even with her slightly dodgy British accent, I don't care. She's got <laughs> all the charisma in the world. She steals every scene she's in, and I adore her. I just think she's a great, great actress, and she comes across as a lovely person. And how can anyone not love Starbuck with superpowers and a dark side? Bring it on. Bring me the romance. Bring me the action. Bring me Amin at Black and her powers. I will be watching. What about you, Seth? Your numero uno Flash fan. How do you feel about this? (laughs) I feel great because blending Katie Sackhoff with the Flash is 
Well, it's like having chocolate and peanut butter, one in each hand and just putting your hands together and knowing you've got goodness right there. I I wanted to see so much more of her after Battlestar. Exactly. It's just a wonderful treat. Um, I've been wanting to see more of her since Battlestar Galactica. I wanted Bionic Woman to be more. And then I I even got probably too excited when they had her make a, a very quick guest appearance on an episode of The Big Bang Theory. And I thought to myself, like, oh, man, when are we going to get to see more of her? So having her as a recurring character on The Flash is just an absolute delight. And every time she does, I forgive the accent, which now has been confirmed as a bit on the dodgy side. But because she's doing it, you just put an A in front of the D. It becomes adorable and you're just fine with it because she's adorable. She captures your attention when she steps on screen and i feel like she has that as her character has demonstrated that ability as amunet to manipulate more than just metal and she's going to be a bit of a monkey wrench for uh, barry and iris as they attempt to celebrate a valentine's day dinner and then i love the fact that this uh you know episode description points out the idea of frost who's trying to become a little bit more human, working with a newer character like Allegra. The images show me all the things I want to see about my favorite characters, and the description just lets me know that these other characters who have really started to grow on me, Frost, who I've always loved, Allegra, who I'm getting to know through the uh, introduction of her character more and will after this episode. I like it that there's an opportunity for love to be in the air for Flash. He was facing a lot of challenges and this impending threat. And what's happening now is really just a great time to see this character sort of grow and expand a little bit. But, of course, not do so without a little bit of hindrance here and there, because otherwise it wouldn't be as fun of a story. So I, for one, am really looking forward to seeing just what sort of twists Amunet puts into play on this romantic holiday and when we'll get the chance to see more of her because as i mentioned i simply can't get enough and i don't care if i'm alone on that one and based on steve's answer and brad's i'm not so you know i've got numbers i'm feeling pretty confident (laughs) uh shifting gears though as we move into the the next story which is one that's uh i find a bit intriguing is the announcement that Benjamin Bratt will be cast in the upcoming HBO Max's DMZ pilot, playing the uh, ringleader, ringleader, sorry, leader of one of the gangs that has seized territory in a, a war-torn demilitarized zone? Brad, what was your take on this announcement and what it's going to be offering from the DC Vertigo's DMZ story as it's presented by HBO Max? I'm just so happy that DMZ is getting... Uh, an adaption i think uh, kind of like why the last man it's like it deserves it deserves to have its moment in the live action sun uh so uh, yeah i'm really looking forward uh, forward to this uh and i think that uh, benjamin uh brat definitely has the kind of gruffness that fits in with the story uh so i think he could definitely play a a gang leader uh I, i'm just yeah i'm excited to learn more about this as it uh, as it all comes together uh, steve what do you think yeah, the same. It was a great series. Um, it expanded on so many of the things that they couldn't really develop much in stuff like No Man's Land because it was the Batman universe. This 
brought that whole idea of a New York separated from the rest of the country into the real world. And like you say, Benjamin Gratt is, is, is a good actor. Um, I've loved everything else he's been in. It's good to see him in a, a darker, meatier role as well. Um, I can, can't help but think of him in, in uh, Demolition Man and singing the uh, mini tunes and the uh, advertising jingles and what, how fresh-faced he was then to being a gang leader in a war-torn New York. And when you've got Rosario Dawson as well, another terrific actress in the series, excitement levels grow. So, yeah, I can't argue with any of that. It's a comic book I loved. He's a good actor. Bring it on, baby. What about you, Seth? Well, I have to agree with you both. It sounds like a really great combination. Uh, Benjamin Bratt, uh, Steve, that was a, a lovely take back uh, for me with Demolition Man. And just thinking of him there, you know, as you pointed out, young, fresh faced and in so many different roles, we've had the chance to see him. But now with a little bit of that senior grit that he can bring and one that could really be an interesting blend to this idea of being a leader of one of the gangs and in doing so, being not a young leader, you know, one who's been around for a little while, who's seen the lay of the land and how things have changed and how much of that can really inform the storytelling and how we can see his impact. Because I can only imagine that with two talented actors like himself and Rosario Dawson, we have the opportunity to, you know, enjoy some really great moments of storytelling and see a great product like DMZ brought to life by such talent on the screen. So I'm really intrigued by this and I like what it potentially suggests for the future as far as uh, what we might be seeing from HBO Max. But that's not the only story we have about HBO Max. Our next story, our last one of the TV and streaming before we shift for that break and then head into comics, is the announcement that HBO Max has gotten its own dedicated movie production arm and the possibility that they maybe could develop DC films. Brad, what's your take, my friend? Uh, you know, one thing that, that grabbed my attention is the fact that they are going to be mid-budget films. And I was thinking how cool it would be if uh, they would take a risk uh, to and, and make films from some of those, you know, the more obscure DC characters. Like, I'd love to see a Blue Beetle movie, Booster Gold movie, uh, Question, you know, so many characters that they could... Uh, do really cool things with in a mid-budget film. Uh, I, so I just, yeah, I hope they can kind of take advantage of that. Uh, I, I think, you know, really only good can come of it. Uh, so we can really see the whole spectrum of the DC universe if this goes well. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Exactly the same thoughts. HBO Max could be a brilliant means to bringing some of our favorite characters to life. And when you mention names like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle, it just takes me back to that whole fantastic Jeremy DeMatteis, Keith Giffen, Justice League Europe, Justice League International era, where we had, oh, it was so fantastic. It was the Kevin Maguire art, um, where you didn't just get action uh, and superheroes fighting and uh, aliens and, and, robots and whatever else you also got some real brilliant human dialogue and some real laughs if we can get a diverse dc universe like we have been with dark films like joker with uh, birds of prey 
literally towing the line between a traditional comic book movie and a gritty crime movie and a black comedy all at once. Warner Brothers have had their faults. They've come out of their interfering ways in the recent films that they're letting go. But having another platform stuff, um, you'll have three happy fans right here and many more around the world, I think. What about you, Seth? What do you make of that? You know, I like the approach that you guys are suggesting, where we have an opportunity to take some risks, show some characters with a, a really different background, with really different stories that aren't as well known as the bigger names. And with this mid-budget idea that Brad was talking about, how we could see something more, something better. And I love the idea that you were both suggesting, you know, of what those possibilities could look like. And which characters we would get the chance to see, how we could tell, provide original stories, maybe not have to, you know, focus on something that's so unbelievable over the top when it comes to budget, and yet still give us that amazing, compelling quality we know that these projects are capable of, and that they don't have to break the bank to do it. So I'm really impressed with this idea and what the possibilities hold, what the future might hold, and the suggestions that you brought up that we've we've seen in the past that can sort of give us a, an idea of just what the possibilities could potentially look like in the future. Any other thoughts before we give everyone that quick ad break? I mean, yeah, I mean, if you think back to the debut of DC Universe, I mean, did you in a million years imagine uh, as recently as, as, as a decade ago that we'd have TV shows like Doom Patrol or Swamp Thing or Stargirl and see characters like the Justice Society on TV. I mean, it would have been unheard. I mean, something like Titans was made for TV. And after the success of the animated series, we knew something like that was coming. But with HBO Max and that extra power of HBO behind Warner and the power, I mean, HBO's TV shows, let's be honest, they're astounding. They're proper. Um, real drama for every audience and their track record speaks for itself combined with the might of warner and the possibility of dc characters being brought to life i mean like i said guys did you ever think we'd have a live action doom patrol tv show and let alone it be as amazing as it was no no not even close it, it wasn't something that i would have thought would have been on the radar 10 years ago it just it it just didn't seem like that kind of possibility. But now as you're talking, I find myself going, so tell me about what a Blue Beetle show would look like. I'm just, hell yeah. just, just, yeah. you know, which version? Wait, why would it have to be one version? What if we have Tag Cord? What if we have Jaime? What if we go all the way back to Dan you know, the Garrett. concept? Yeah. Yes, thank you, Dan Garrett, the original Blue Scarab. What if we tie all three together? What if we tell a Blue Beetle story that's, you know, got all this possibility behind it because of you know now it makes me think you know when we were talking a little while back about the idea of the green lanterns and how there's so many different layers whether you're talking about the guardians and the green lantern the green lantern core so yeah when it comes to the idea of how we can see layers of characters from blue beetle through those like the green lantern where we would have the opportunity to to see the green lanterns 
as they exist with the core, but also, you know, these confusing elements of Alan Scott and the magical version and how they want to, you know, blend those together and where they want to make or keep connections that we've seen suggested and told in stories in comics. But which other characters that I love Brad brought up that we can take a risk with, that we can see more possibility through the introduction of, I mean, suddenly now I, I've got this little thing where I'm like, okay, so when can I go ahead and see, uh, I don't know, the creeper? Um, when can I see some other dark sort of interesting characters that, I mean, I've really been enjoying. There was the inferior five comic not too long ago with a really fun peacemaker story in the background. It made me just think, well, what about a fun peacemaker story with some of those elements and a little Jeff Lemire twist to it. And with a mid-level budget idea that brad brought up we could possibly see some really great risks taken and i like that idea that's been suggested and and how it's been presented by you both so well aware of what my hopes and dreams are now i just want to see what direction hbo max and dc end up taking us and with that we're going to take a quick break we've still got some comic news to come at you and one other piece of well that thing we like to call other so Step out for this break. Soak up all the information you can, unless you're like those of us with the sponge that simply cannot absorb anymore. And we'll be back in just a bit. (laughs) Exactly. With our comics news. We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books It can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by... The guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. And thanks for your patience as we've come back from that break to dive into our first story for the comic book news, the original source material, and an announcement from DC that it's free comic book day 2020 offerings, Generation Zero, a one-shot, time together, Wally, Wonder Woman 750, uh, there's a chair, I mean, okay, I could probably fumble all over the details, Or I could let you hear more from those who aren't quite so overwhelmed, like Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, what was your take on this free comic book day announcement and all of the information it seems to be throwing at us? Uh, I've been intrigued about this new history 
that DC uh, has created ever since they announced it at New York Comic Con last year. And I think now it's finally going to all start to come together. And hopefully we'll see a bigger picture as to why they wanted to do this. Uh, you know, I said before that it might be something bigger that they're only hinting at at this point. So I'm glad that we're kind of moving in that direction and finding out exactly more about, you know, what's going to be happening. Uh, so I think this will be the definitely the one of the most important issues in the free comic book day grab bag for sure. And Dr. Manhattan, you know, I'm a huge Watchmen fan. So anytime that Dr. Manhattan comes into the D.C. universe, I'm all for it. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for this. Steve, what do you think? I had so many questions because I thought that Doomsday Clock would wrap them all up. But we still need to know the hows and the whys of the removal of the Justice Society, the Legion of Superheroes and Wally West from a modern continuity until uh, the advent of, of the rebirth and doomsday clock. And also the resurrection of Jor-El and why Manhattan brought him back, because it's clear uh, that it was Manhattan that did that because Jorel himself said so. One minute I was dead, next a blue hand was reaching for me, or words to that effect. But also, this uh, teaser cover is giving away so many things while not giving away anything at all. I mean, on the left hand side, we have the Batman Who Laughs, one of the major new characters to come out of Dark Knight's Metal. Then on the right hand side, that's clearly the vintage. Uh, Teen Titans from the Marvel Wolfman George Perez era just by Raven alone then moving down to the left hand side multiple different Superman in multiple different costumes then to the right that is definitely the uh, 70s 80s yellow oval Batman with Robin and dead center at the bottom underneath Wally West in all his Dr. Manhattanized glory is the new 52 era of characters so we're going to get a one-shot comic book explaining all of that or finally pulling the threads together from all of that. Um, it's a bold move to do a one-shot story that important as a free comic book on free comic book day. And then when you get the, the um, edit news of two brand new Batman titles as well, one-shots, this new uh, free comic book day is going to be huge and i will be first in line to pick up my dc marvel and alternate goodies as i always do on free comic book day a because they're free and b because hey you guessed it they're comic books <laughs> seth excited you know what i love about this is last year i was back visiting my parents uh father has had some health issues and i've been making some more regular stopovers to see them and while I was there, I realized I would miss free comic book day. And I told my wife, "Hun, you got to do me a favor. I need you to go down to these comic shops. I need you to pick up some books for me. <laughs> and in doing so, I she had got a you limited some winners, number of... though, didn't she? Oh, she scored, especially when she, you know, had a chance to introduce herself to the shop owners and, and tell them that I, you know, regularly went in there. But, you know, she was coming in essentially for her first time. And how they steered her towards Tom King's Mr. Miracle uh, collected uh, work and so many other great pieces that I thought to myself, 
this is just another reason to add to why I love and married you and why I'm so proud to be your husband. So knowing all of that, there's a part of me that's already having this excitement of going, wow, I, I get to go again this year. I won't be gone. I won't have to ask somebody to do it for me. But now on top of it, this really amazing story. Steve, you will be first in line in the UK. I will be the first in line out here in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area at my favorite shops and stopping in to collect what is clearly going to be a very mind-boggling one shot. One of so many to pick up, as you pointed out, the uh, the other options available to us to consider Batman Overdrive, Batman Once Upon a Crime. We've got these you know, limits that I'm sometimes going to have to deal with when it when it comes to how many you're allowed to get. It's why I go to a few different shops and also why on a few occasions I will do so with the knowledge that um, that a lot of the great shops offer options for kids that I can oftentimes go and get a collection of books for myself and for my nieces and nephews and send off to them. But this one, this one's going to stay with me. And you know, Steve, all the stuff you brought up in that cover image, all these tellings that it's doing without really saying anything, I can only wonder how they're going to expound on what was the amazing doomsday clock and what we're going to get to see in something that I've already begun to anticipate when it comes to free comic book day. Any other takes before we shift into our next comic story? Give me all the comics. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, you heard him, folks. If you can make it happen, <laughs> I can think of only only a few people that deserving. Brad and Steve are there. But our next comic book story, not related to how we can get all of the comics into Steve's hands, is an announcement by uh, Tom King, who claims that he wouldn't have killed Alfred, but that DC intervened instead. Now, hopefully that's not a spoiler for those who have been keeping up with news about Batman these days. And if it is, I'm sorry. I take full responsibility. You can let me hear about it later on social media. But this idea that it wasn't really something he was going forward with until those above said yes. Brad, what's your take, my friend? I mean, that's pretty bold on DC's part. Uh, Alfred is such an important and iconic character and has been for so, so long. So... For them just to say, yeah, do it. That's uh, yeah, it was pretty. That's pretty bold. And I'm going to go back to what I said in the last story is that I wonder if that has some kind of tie into what they're planning editorially over the next year or so. Um, I mean, on uh, you know, obviously, I don't think Alfred is going to stay dead for all that long. Uh, but it's just the the hows and the whys that they're going to bring him back that uh, that are going to interest me. Uh, Steve, what do you think? It makes so much sense to me because I remember reading Batman 77 and the moment where Bane reaches out and slap, snaps Alfred's neck and I was thinking, hang on, hold up, what did I just read? And the fact that there was no build-up to it, no lead-up, no media, no uh, Reporting or advertising of the fact that this was going to happen leads me to believe that, that Tom King had a backup plan, like he says it in this short interview, where um, he, he didn't really die, but DC made it so 
And I don't know if you guys have managed to read uh, Alfred Pennyworth Rest in Peace yet. Whoo-wee! Um, it's terrific. Um, so, like you said, and I like King says in the interview, um, nothing in comics is permanent. But with Alfred's real successful in his own show, Pennyworth was just superb. Uh, season two's still being filmed as we speak in and around London. Um, it's a very bold move. It, it's uh, unreal that they've done this. And I, I love Alfred. Um, always have, always will. Throughout all his iterations, the original Alfred Beagle to the Alfred Pennyworth we know and love now. So will he stay dead? I doubt it. But the fact that they pushed for him to be killed off um, is astonishing, but it does make sense because nobody saw it coming, and we're only feeling the repercussions now, what, 10 issues later, five months later. So, very bold, DC. Uh, I don't know whether to applaud you or berate you because you broke my heart, but that's great storytelling. It's going to get more readers, and when it produces titles like um, Alfred Pennyworth, Rest in Peace, whew, uh, yeah, blown away. What about you, Seth? Yeah, I was really, really sort of surprised when I read this story. And uh, I'm interested now, just based on your responses, to think about how so much of it, there there was no real sort of preparation. It felt so jarring, so sudden, so shocking. I honestly was thinking to myself, this isn't happening. There's all these other things that have to be coming into play. There's no way that this would occur in this way. And yet it's clear that there was a decision made and it feels like it was one of those strike while the iron is hot. This idea that there was this cliffhanger that he had created and in it was the opportunity to pull back. But as he points out, he got pushed forward. But the other thing that I really was intrigued by with this was the, you know, the, of course, the question, how long will he stay gone? And, you know, is is it, you know, the end? And if it's the end of Alfred. But I loved what Tom King said about how nothing in comics is permanent and that what sticks, what stays in continuity is what's good. If Alfred's death leads to good stories, then it will stick until a better idea comes along. And that really left me with this optimistic approach and thought about it, this feeling that what really seems important is the idea of good storytelling, creating continuity and how Tom King said that what sticks, what stays in continuity is what's good. If Alfred's death leads to good stories, then it will probably stick until a better idea comes along. And I love this approach and this feeling that he suggests about comics, about how so many things were meant or believed to be only only told one way and to only have one result. And yet we've seen through great storytelling how a change can come when it's the right idea, when it's got great storytelling and when it does something important to the overall narrative. So. I, I sort of liked the fact that while I was stunned and shocked by the decision by DC, I was also rather moved by the approach from Tom King that for right now, if it if it provides great storytelling, then this is going to stay as it is. But when there's an opportunity to 
do something better, to have a better idea, well, that's when we're going to see a change to this idea of where Alfred currently is and why he's not currently with us. And um, if I'm going to hang my hat on something at the end of a story, it's going to be something like that. So uh, I was really intrigued by the fact that there was this feeling of, oh, why would they do this? Followed by this other recognition that, wow, this isn't something that I have to be worried about. This is something that, you know, I can look forward to in a positive way as to how is it that we can bring Alfred Pennyworth back? Any other takes on this uh, story before we shift gears? He'll be back. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, we're going to move into our next story. More details on Joker's newest henchwoman known as Punchline. Brad, what was your take on this announcement and this generated buzz about punchline uh i don't think there's been a buzz about a new character like this in a long time i've, I've been seeing uh news about punchline uh, all over facebook so i think it's very interesting and uh i like the character design i think she's going to be uh pretty vicious so uh yeah i'm kind of kind of interested to uh, to learn more about her steve what do you think I got excited when we broke this story on Dark Knight News two weeks ago and James Tinian literally just described her as who is Punchline and why does she just want to stab everybody? Now, (laughs) if that's not something that's going to grab a reader's attention, I don't know what is. Her character design is gorgeous. Jorge Jimenez has done a beautiful job with this character. She's so not Harley Quinn. She seems like a cross between, I don't know, a, a, a mad clown and Lady Shiva. And what's with the uh, noughts and crosses, the tic-tac-toe emblems on her uh, gloves, gauntlets and blades? And why does she want to stab everyone? And I'm getting a funny vibe. I don't know if you guys have been reading James Tynan's run on, on Batman since he took over. But um, this whole secret that Catwoman's got from Batman and digging up the Joker's body and I don't know, maybe I'm just letting my conspiracy theory mind run away with me. But does this lady not look very Selena Kyle to you? Is this a crazy version of Catwoman we've not seen before and Joker's way of getting back at Batman in a way that no one's thought of before, especially with that Stanley Lau cover, that could easily be um, Selena. But hey, that's just me probably being crazy. It's probably just a brand new character. It's a brand new henchwoman. And now that Harley's back on the scene, what's she going to make of it? And more disturbing, the pictures on Joker's wall with Nightwing and Dick Grayson together, Tim Drake and uh, Red Robin and Jason Todd and Red Hood, with their names, their faces, masked and unmasked. So did everything from Death of the Family and Endgame finally become proof that Joker's known all along and now he's going to play with Batman like a cat with a mouse? I cannot wait to read Joker War. I love Jabe Tynan writing, what he did on Detective Comics, what he's done on Justice League Dark. So, so excited. What about you, Seth? I'm more interested in what you've just been talking about than anything I was really gleaning from this story, Steve. <laughs> you know, yeah. what I. Yeah, you got me a lot, a lot more excited than I was. <laughs> I'm really excited 
by what you were talking about, Steve, and clearly with Brad's endorsement there, I'm not alone. And I can know that there's a lot to look forward to beyond just this character. You know, it's interesting. The tic-tac-toe wasn't my first take on the uh, the X's and O's. I thought of how girls would in like junior high in high school would sign letters XOXOXO, like a hugs and kisses kind of thing. Except, you know, if it's coming from someone like or who looks like Punchline, there's a chance that her hugs and kisses hurt a lot. Um, so I, I, that was my take on the, the X and O's and how she might sort of use them as, you know, let me give you a hug and a kiss kind of an idea. How it actually ends up playing out, uh, we're, we're going to have to wait and read and see. But the other thing that you brought up, the idea about the, uh, the identities revealed and how so much of the uh, death of the family – the, the idea that he knows and whenever he wants to, it's something he can manipulate to his own den game. I'm really intrigued by. I, I like that detail that you picked up from just these few images that they shared and the pictures on the wall. It, it sounds like uh, <laughs> we've got a lot more to look forward to. I certainly do after that breakdown you just gave us. So thank you. I think that's a, a really interesting idea. I'm excited. You're but, welcome. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, that's the nice thing about Steve. He's always going to give you that civility right back. I mean, you give him a thank you, he's going to give you a welcome. Now, um, and we've got a, another story sticking within the Batman universe, but shifting gears. We're talking about the fact that we've got Batman Catwoman and showing the moment they met till the moment they die. Bruce and Selina. Very intriguing headline and an interesting update that's provided by Tom King. And I haven't forgotten, Steve, you brought up a really great idea with the secret that Selina's been keeping in the current Batman run. And I'm not going to forget that. I just couldn't find a way to to see how it ties to, to Punchline or what else to add. But it's still with me as I move into this story, and I just want you to know I'm not forgetting it, even as we talk about this update from Tom King. Brad, what was your take on this announcement, Batman, Catwoman, and what this means, this this idea of the moment? Uh, you know, as far as the moment, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I have to wait to see how that plays out a little bit. But as an overall arc of the beginning and the end of the relationship, that could be such an epic story. There's so much you can do with that. Um, I just, you know, that intrigues me. Just, you know, that's 50 years is a long time. And they're, you know, I kind of kept getting flashbacks of like epic love stories like Titanic or Gone with the Wind or something like that. Something that's that is that that big and it could really, really be epic. Steve, what do you think? What can I add to that? That's so the truth. Let's let's think back to to Batman number one and Catwoman's first appearance. And the way that uh, Tom King so brilliantly tied in all those gold and silver, bronze, modern age appearances into one continuity like no one since Grant Morrison's done before. The way... Those two writers have brought in stories you'd never thought would work in modern continuity, but spun them in, woven them in in a way that's both realistic and and gorgeous in a way. When Clayman was drawing 
scenes originally drawn by uh, Bob Kane and, and the classic Golden Age artists, but with his own modern flourish and his own unique style. And I agree with Tom King. He is without doubt one of the greatest comic book artists on earth right now. The fact that this book's delayed, I actually don't care because I know that when it does come out, it's going to be astonishing. Shining the history aside, the fact that they're bringing Phantasm from Mask of the Phantasm to this story mm-hmm. um, and seeing, like you said, a 50-year relationship between Bruce and Selina. That's like my wife and I will celebrate 31 years together this year. Um, she's been part of my life longer than my life was, was ever without her. So to see that from two of my favourite comics characters of all time, who've been around in constant publication for 80 years straight. It's just going to be well worth the wait. It's a comic I'm not only buying and collecting, it's a comic that I've already told everyone else at Dialogue News that, lay, hey, hands off, I'm reviewing this book. Leave it alone. It's mine. Um, things like this from Tom King just make it even more oh, exciting. You guys have read Batman Annual Number Two, right? Where it shows that, uh, that that beautiful relationship between the two of them as, as, as an old couple. If that's mm. expanded upon as well, oh, I cannot wait for this series. It was meant to be out in January this year. It's been delayed. I don't mind now. That's real enticement to be patient and, and to wait to see what happens. What did you make of it all, Seth? I'm really intrigued by so many elements that you were just describing, Uh, taking us back to that first issue and that introduction and how we could see all those different layers, all those different takes on the relationship. And then looking at the elements that are going to be included, the uh, phantasm from Mask of the Phantasm. And I'm also, as I was listening to you, I was really hooked on this last statement that he makes in this article that it's a romance comic. And then he brings in this idea that when you couple with a person, that coupling in itself changes. And then you have to find out if the new person you are is compatible with the person you've chosen. Like the fact that you've chosen to be in a relationship with somebody changes you. And how through that change, now there's a question of that new person you become and how compatible it is with the person you still want to. It's such a really interesting idea to, to try and explore and how he's doing it in this way that he's hoping to mirror these standalone stories like Batman Year One or Dark Knight Returns, where he's looking at what they were able to do in four issues or even an oversize and how he wants to accomplish something similar. I I love it when these artists and writers are looking to the masters, looking to the the great monuments that have come before and saying, okay, I'm I'm writing to get your guys' attention. Tell tell me what you think about this same approach, about this same desire to to tell a story like this. But what it's about, it reminds me of some of the headiest qualities that that we've seen from him in works like Batman, like we saw with his Mr. Miracle. And I, I can only think to myself, you know, folks, if you're looking for the insight, Steve just told you where you can find his review and that he'll be the one reviewing it each and every time. I, uh, I would encourage you to check it out. I think you're going to like what you read. I know I'm going to be looking forward to the insights that uh, Steve can offer for us on that. And 
also the sort of approaches that we know Tom King is capable of bringing about. Boy, when we get a chance to see what this can look like, I think it's one of those things that we're going to be talking about for a long time, that he might be able to make his own monument like he has so far with so many other projects. And that Batman Catwoman is something that uh, it's got more surprises than I expected. I knew we were going to get a love story. This tells me about so much more I can look forward to. But for me, it, it always comes back to some of my first loves. And when it comes to this next comic story, as Steve mentioned earlier, I am a huge Flash fan. I have been in love with this character since my first discovery of the version that I read while it was in continuity when I was a young guy growing up, and also the versions that inspired. And when it comes to the versions that inspired the Flash, there's an original that I love to think of just as soon as I see that that Mercury helmet, Mr. Jay Garrick. And a story talking about how the upcoming Flash number 750, we finally get a standalone Jay Garrick story. And it's been so long since we've had these characters that now getting peaks of them in titles like Justice League and now getting a chance to see Jay standalone in the upcoming Flash number 750. I, I was really intrigued by this story because uh, in a sit down with Josh Williamson, they talk about some of the ideas like how when he was reading Flash, he was always hearing Jeff Johns' voice in his head and how he wants to take an approach with this character that looks at what it was like when he was first starting out, what it was like to be a young speedster. Um, for the most part, it's a very deep and in-depth interview, but those were the initial questions that really sort of caught my interest. And depending on how far you guys read through it and what caught your attention, Brad, starting with you, what was your take on this story and the reappearance of Mr. J? Yeah, I think I think that uh, it's about time. I think he, I think he's due for a return. It's kind of it's nice to see him back. Uh, it is a character that is extremely important over the history of the DC universe, and it was a shame to have him gone for so long. Uh, I think he was sorely missed, so I'm I'm super happy to see that he's coming back. And just put that as another reason why I really want to pick up Flash 750 for sure. Uh, you know, I. I it, 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 it's been so long since we've seen like uh, a story of him on his own. So yeah, I uh, welcome back. That's what I have to say. Uh, Steve, what do you think? I literally jumped up in the air reading the Batman, the uh, initial Batman Flash crossover from the early days of the Rebirth, and seeing Jay Garrick return led me to believe, well, if he's back. If Wally West's back, then so many characters that I've sorely been missing in DC Comics in recent years can all come back. And the fact that, well, listen, he's the original Flash. He was there in 1939 along with uh, Batman and Superman and and a couple of years later, Wonder Woman. They're the only characters who've been in print constantly for 80 plus years. And yes, obviously he's been... Um, taken the role of flash has been taken over by barry allen and wally west and uh bar allen from the future and whatever else but he was the first he was the original he was the man with a lightning on his chest who ran faster than anything he was the fastest man alive 
an inspiration, a hero, and honestly, to this day, still one of my all-time favourite comics characters. And when both Flashes met in the vintage Flash of Two Earths, and we learn about Earth 1, Earth 2, and the multiverse, that's what set DC Comics apart from everyone else. That whole generational quality of Alan Scott, then uh, Hal Jordan and John Stewart and all the other Green Lanterns and uh, Batman and Robin and then Earth 2's Huntress being the daughter of Bruce and uh, Selina and the two Black Canaries, mother and daughter. It's a history and a legacy of passing on a mantle. And we've already mentioned Blue Beetle. Um, it's a great, great thing and a great, great legacy. And to see that moving forward and celebrated. I mean, what's been better comics than Action Comics 1000 and Detective Comics 1000? And have you guys read Wonder Woman 750? Brilliant. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's really good. Love this yeah. stuff. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 again, uh, I'll be camped outside my comic book store when Flash 750 comes out. I am buying it, and all I have to worry about is choosing which cover to pick. That's the hardest part of all. <laughs> Seth, which one are you going to pick? And you must be excited. Well, I can't hide my excitement, and I can honestly say that I just got back this past week from a business trip that had me out of town for the last five days. But before I left on Sunday, I went to my favorite comic shop, checked in, and said, hey, so uh, you guys haven't finalized orders yet, right, for Flash 750? And they said, no. I said, Nicola Scott cover, please. The one with Jay Garrick against a black background. Can you hold me a copy of that? <laughs> and uh, they, they said, hey, no problem. Now we've got the other one with them shaking hands. And I said, I know. I don't want to be greedy. And what I really wanted was that Nicola Scott cover that I – knew as soon as i saw it that was the one they pointed out how many other covers there were they said hey what about this one with barry and uh and jay shaking hands and i said it's a great one and when i come in i might be inspired to get that as a second one but when it came to picking my cover man as soon as i saw that nicola scott jay garrick against the black background i knew that was the book that i was going to request so i've already got it waiting for me when i show up and i'm looking forward to cracking it open and I've got a spot that I'm opening up in this little new house that we've got, and it's my own little office space that I can see that cover hanging on the wall of. And I'm really going to love digging into these stories and getting the chance to see how Jay becomes a part of this. Um, I loved everything you were talking about, Steve, the idea of, of what that meant for the multiverse the first time we got to see Jay and Barry shake hands. And, and how it was such this wonderfully delightful idea of Barry growing up, reading those comics, and then meeting his hero. And then how Jay has been this mentor. But this idea of seeing him now as a fresh young character, it's one of those things I miss from the Earth 2 book. That, that chance to see what it was like for a young Jay Garrick discovering his powers. And getting the chance to see how that can be told uh, in this story and seeing him in his early days. Before he was the senior mentor, before all of that came, but also what helped to inform all of that wisdom that he had the chance to share with every speedster that came after him. It, it's going to be a really lovely time. And based on what we've seen, as you pointed out, Steve, you know, Action Comics 1000 to the most recent Wonder Woman 750, I believe Flash 750 is going to live up to all of our expectations. And it's stories like that or like this that make me feel that way. 
I'm I'm really excited to hear your guys' excitement as well. It's dangerous. It's kind of like pouring gasoline on an already roaring fire because, you know, it's not like I needed something to get me going, did I? It's a heat wave. So it's dangerous. Is that heat wave? Did we say heat wave? Let's talk about – oh, hold on. Reel it in. Reel it back. All right. Shifting gears. Sometimes – we have to follow up some not so or some great news with some not so great news, as does happen from time to time. We end up talking about a postponement that might occur. And this time around, it's Superman villains. Number one postponed by three weeks. Brad, what was your take on this announcement? Oh, man, it, it's it's just a bummer. Um, the creative teams are so strong. Um, you know, and looking at the talent that's involved, I can see why maybe they needed just a little more time. Uh, those writers and artists are all pretty busy, but it's still it's it's still a bummer. You know, as we've talked about this so much, but yeah, you know, what can you say? It's just it's just a bummer. Steve, it's a major bummer because I'm one of those sad people who, with uh, miniseries and stuff like that, I tend to wait until the whole sets out mm. and now i've found that the brilliant mm. superman heroes issue which is out this wednesday which i'm dying to read i'm not going to read because i want to wait till the villains one comes out too so thanks dc i really don't appreciate it but hey it's definitely coming at least it hasn't been delayed and infinitum like several other things or cancelled completely um when you get that level of talent just like you said brad you're going to expect delays because all of those guys are currently, I don't even know how they're doing what they're currently doing. And um, I'm just going to have to be patient, I guess. Um, Maybe I will read number one because I I have failed miserably and not uh, hold held off with curse of the white knight. I've had to be reading it month by month because it's just that good. So I'll read Superman heroes and then I'll read it again before villains comes out. Yep. That's what I'm going to do. What about you, sir? Well, Steve, I, I, I like both of your solutions and your approaches, um, and I have to agree with you both. Brad, you brought it up, the point uh, initially, and, and the echo from Steve is one I'm going to continue. This idea that we've got so many different talents all collaborating on this project. I mean, I think Brian Michael Bendis is writing like 10 books on his own, right? And I'm not sure how many others are just holding down multiple jobs as though they've got four arms. With all of that in mind, um, a project like this had the potential to have some hiccups. It's disappointing. But keeping in mind that there are solutions like holding off on reading Superman heroes and then trying to give yourself a balanced amount of time between finishing that and moving into the waiting period for Superman villains is a very novel approach and one worth keeping in mind. Um, I'm not sure that I have that sort of resilience. I'm probably just going to dive into Superman heroes and just accept the waiting period as it goes. But I, I am going to be doing so with that sort of knowledge that, yeah, there's a possibility that things like this will be an issue when you've got so many great talents. And despite all the best efforts, sometimes it's just an issue that has to be worked through instead of being avoided. Um, but I, I do find it interesting because it's not our only postponement story. We also have the announcement that Doom Patrol Way of the Worlds finale has been postponed by six weeks. 
And I feel like this was something Brad and I talked about a little while back. Um, and I'm curious to get his take on this announcement um, and what this means for Doom Patrol, Way of the Worlds, and the fact that one of the things I remember Brad bringing up was uh, the recent announcement of the reforming of My Chemical Romance, Tours, all those other factors. Brad, what's your take? Yeah, when we talked about this the first time, I'm not sure if the full expanded tour was announced yet, but I have a feeling it wasn't. So now that it has, now they're they're touring North America, it's probably going to be a whole worldwide tour. So it's not surprising to me that Gerard Way is really, has been really busy lately. I mean, that's the whole, it's a big, big undertaking. So, you know, reading that story, I wasn't, that's one that I could live with because I could kind of see a reason as to why that might be. Um, and I kind of hope to see them on tour when they come play New York. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just a, probably one of those things that just had to be done. Uh, Steve, what's your take? Oh, delays, delays. We don't like delays, um, particularly when they involve gorgeous art by Nick Derrington. But what are you going to do? Um, it's sad because it's the final issue and people who are dying to see how the story ends and what a story. Listen, if you thought Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol was weird, you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, when you get a talented, talented uh, writer like Jared Way and musician, of course, you, you've got to just sit down wait patiently and see what happens. I mean, I'm still waiting for him to make more uh, Umbrella Academy stuff. So I've been waiting a lot longer for that than a couple of months. So when it comes, it comes and I'll be reading it. That's all I have to say about that. What about you, Seth? Yeah, when it comes to this announcement, it's it's disappointing. It's frustrating. It's a little bit difficult to sort of, you know, figure out how this is going to affect any sort of future planning and you know steve you were pointing out how you've been waiting for even longer for you know more of umbrella academy i hope that this is something that can be addressed quickly and reasonably and sort of uh keep in mind the fact that sure things happen but there's also commitments that were already made how can this be addressed so that fans who have been enjoying this wonderfully weird storytelling that uh, follows on the wonderfully weird example of Graham Morrison and and what we can hope to see as the story comes to a close. Uh, we have to wait a little bit longer. How much longer? I'm not quite sure. I'm intrigued to see what the end game will look like. But whenever it comes to a story like this, I'm always thankful that we have one final story to end on a different note. And that moves us into our other category, things that don't really fall into movies, TV, streaming, or comics. And that's the announcement that Prime One Studio is offering up a Dark Knight's Metal, the Drowned statue. A uh, lot of details, a impressive price tag. Brad, what was your take on this? Oh, man. Yeah, it is gorgeous. The detail is just amazing. But man, that price tag, you are paying for that detail. Um, you know, but, I, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that see these statues of, as an investment. And I'm just curious if their value does go up considerably after they come out, you know, but man, those statues are just just beautiful. 
just beautiful. Steve, what's your take? Every single item in this collection has just been mind-blowing. Uh, again, completely out of my price range, but if ever a lottery win was on the cards, I, I'd definitely pick up a couple. But I, I imagine they'd have to go up in value, because I mean, if you think about antiques and figurines from yesteryear and those uh, going up in value because of the rarity of them, how few there are, we're looking at something that's so intricate, so beautifully crafted, and so limited in number that I do honestly believe that people who are collecting these things are making an investment. They're really collecting something that's a true collectible that will be looked at in generations to come as an antique, as a priceless work of art from that time period. So while comics fans um, in general may not be in that price range, there are definitely art collectors, artists who are also comic book fans who will be. Um, I'm just jealous of them all. I, I wish I could uh, add all of these to my collection, every single one of them. And I think that's probably, is that the last one now? We've had almost all of them. So that should be the last of the uh, alternate dark multiverse Batman. Or oh, this one's actually a Batwoman. It's Bryce Wayne um, after taking on the attributes of an Atlantean and becoming even more powerful. But yeah, gorgeous piece of art. Absolutely stunning. And the way they've, taking pictures of it in black blank backgrounds and then sea-based backgrounds and added different lights to it just highlight the intricacy detail and artistry that's gone into making this beautiful sculpture absolutely stunning what did you think of it sir it's truly gorgeous i mean with every click of the mouse with each new picture you have the chance to focus on another element something else about it that that rings in a different way than what you were just looking at and highlights that detail that amazing beauty that really lovely artistic quality that makes me agree with you steve i'm, I'm fairly certain that people that are purchasing these uh, are making investment and brad i i'm thinking based on what we see here they they are getting an appreciation in value based on the ideas that steve was talking about like limited yeah. number and the quality of the work being put into play you know, something like this, you just you find yourself thinking to yourself, wow, why did I not go in or why was I not, you know, able to have the talents or study and practice them to a degree where this is something I was doing on a regular basis where I could step back at the end of my day, my work and go, look what I made and have it be something as absolutely gorgeous as this. It's it's truly stunning, and uh, I love the uh, the elements that you guys were describing. And Steve, nice touch with the backgrounds; they do highlight so much with each change and iteration. Uh, if you're looking for a lovely piece of art and you've got the coin to spare, I would say this would be a welcome addition and make a uh, make as a showpiece on any shelf, cabinet, wall, or whatever your display area looks like. I can only imagine if you can invest in something like this, you probably have some pretty creative ideas to, to choose from. Um, as I said, beautiful art like that, it's easy to end this episode on a high note with a great story like that. Which means that, yes, we have come to the end of this episode, number 58 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I uh, wanted to make sure that we have an opportunity for you to find these wonderful people who have been so helpful in giving us such great thoughts about each of these stories. 
Brad, when it comes to that social media world, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews at DC Comics News. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And Steve, how about you, my friend? Similar sort of story. You can catch all my work on DC Comics News and our sister site, Dark Knight News, simply by going to the search engine of choice and typing in the word Steve, followed by the letter J and my surname, Ray, R-A-Y, as in sunshine, Steve J. Ray, and you get links to both those fantastic websites i'm also on this show every week with these wonderful people i host my own show um i am the night with my son and soon to be other guests too who are uh, eager to talk about batman the animated series in all its glory and uh that's where you can find me where can the world find you brother seth and as for me, Steve, well, you can find me hanging out with you guys on a mostly regular basis. I do get sick every once in a while, and sadly, that can get in the way of the regularity. But as long as I'm able, you'll find me here. You can also find uh, my reviews on DC Comics News. And if you want to let us know whatever you're thinking, you can find either Steve, Brad, or myself on social media. And if you just want to let us know as a group what you're thinking, you can find us on either Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you need is the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. And to keep up with every recurring and new episode of the DC Comics News podcast, head over to your favorite platform. Check out. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. And when you find us, please rate and review. This way you can keep up on other offerings that we have aside from this podcast network series. We also have the Spinner Rack, which I'm lucky enough to be able to host on a weekly basis. Our newest version and iteration and programming to be offered is that from Mr. Steve J. Ray and his I Am the Night an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series. And as we've been suggesting, when the timing is right, Mr. Brad Felicki, the fashionista himself, (laughs) and he to coin a nice pair of pants, which I think is a great title, will be bringing us soon his fashion podcast. It's only a matter of time. Whether or not you can influence that with your social media pressure, I cannot guarantee. But what I can say is when it does arrive, you'll be glad that you subscribed and you've been part of the DC Comics News Podcast Network and all the episodes we're happy to bring you. And with that, it's time for us to bring this to a close with a phrase you might have heard us say once or twice before, and that is to always read more comics. And with that, folks, we're done. Catch you next time on episode 59. Bye now.